Have you ever seen something from a different perspective than someone in your life, maybe a family member or a friend? If you're married today, the answer is yes. <laughs> but all of us have had the experience where we're having a conversation with someone and we're discussing maybe a, a situation in society or we're talking about a personal viewpoint and, and there's just a completely different perspective, a totally different vantage point. That happens to us on, I'm sure, a fairly regular basis. You know, it's interesting when it comes to the Christmas story, there is a different perspective from what we think about and what we see in our contemporary culture and society and what happened with the original story in human history. And we're in a teaching series called The Scandal of Christmas because what we're seeing is that the real life Christmas story that's given to us in human history and recorded for us in the pages of the Bible is, is not the sanitized Christmas story that we're accustomed to getting and thinking about. It was a scandalous one. Last week, we talked about the scandal of Jesus's family and the fact that when, when the genealogy of Jesus is given to us to show us that Jesus came from Abraham and David, that it's given to us in such a way that it highlights the scandal on Jesus's family tree. We saw that, that the guy named by the name of Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus and later wrote to convince others that Jesus is the Messiah, that when Matthew gave us Jesus's family history, that he, he goes out of his way to highlight the dysfunction. It's not the kind of Christmas narrative that you would expect. The introduction to Jesus in Matthew's gospel is filled with controversy and scandal. And today we're gonna to look at the scandal of Jesus's parents and specifically with his mother, Mary, and what transpired early in her life when she learned about the fact that she would be the mother of Jesus because the circumstances were unique to say the least. In fact, they were quite scandalous. <laughs> but you know, the, 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 the Christmas version that we're accustomed to is in many corners, almost like a Caucasian Jesus that's born peacefully and laid in one of those sleep number manger beds, you know, a comfortable manger and he didn't cry. And he had these parents who seemed to accept everything with, without any difficulty. But again, the real story is a very different story. It's given to us from an entirely different perspective than what we're accustomed to. And we're looking at, at, at the real story because here's what we find. When, when we dig into the real story and we contemplate what was actually happening and felt and experienced, it draws us closer to a real God that saves real people and works through real situations to bring about real hope and real change. And that's the significance of really delving into the Christmas story and seeing it for what it is because, because today we're, we're, we're gonna see this situation with Mary in particular and a relative of hers named Elizabeth and Elizabeth's husband whose name was Zechariah. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna see just a, a really difficult situation for them. In fact, I'd love for you to see this with me. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me now to, to Luke chapter one. We looked at Matthew last week. This week, I want us to look at the gospel of Luke. Luke writing with the same purpose to give us some of this history in an effort to show us about the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and Luke is found just a couple of books after Matthew there in the New Testament. And Luke gives us some specifics on this conversation between 
the angel Gabriel that's sent directly from the Lord to two people, to this man named Zechariah, who was married to Elizabeth, and then eventually to Mary. Now let's start with Zechariah. I'll summarize what happens here in the first part of Luke chapter one is Gabriel shows up and he, he appears to Zechariah. Zechariah was a man who was in a, a priestly role. He had a prominent position in his culture, but his wife Elizabeth was unable to have a son. And as we've seen before in, in first century Jewish society for a woman to be unable to have a child, it was cause for shame it, it was caused to have decreased standing in society. And therefore, Elizabeth would have been viewed with some measure of contempt. People would have viewed her as literally stricken by God. And they would have seen her as having some kind of sin in her life or some kind of failure that prompted her inability to have a son. And, and so she's in a really difficult situation, has been for most of her life because she did not have full standing in her culture and her society, even though her husband had a significant role. And so they, they live the majority of their lives this way. They're now into their twilight years when Gabriel appears to Zechariah and, and, and Gabriel says directly from the Lord, Zechariah, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son. And this son is gonna have a special role and he's gonna kind of lead the way for another child who's gonna be born after him. And Zechariah doubts significantly what Gabriel says to him. Now he gets this angelic revelation. He's fearful, all the things that accompany being confronted by an angel, okay? And, and so this is a significant moment, but, but, but he's doubtful that this can happen. The reason is his wife is well beyond childbearing years. She's late in life. And Zechariah knows, like there's no, there's no normal human possibility for her to conceive and, and have a child and have a son. And so he doubts Gabriel. And as a result, Gabriel puts him in timeout for nine months. <laughs> and, and Zechariah loses the ability to speak until after the birth of his son. Some of you ladies are like, oh, I wouldn't mind for Gabriel to visit my husband for a certain period of time, maybe. But it's fascinating that, that Zechariah, he doubts so heavily what he's told by an angel that he literally has a consequence as a result. But I have to tell you, you know, like if any of us were in Zechariah's situation, I think we would have the same kind of doubt. Uh, give me an example. Like we just had a Tuesday night of this week, we had a uh, a leading the way dinner. That's our senior adult ministry here at Bell Shoals. And, and we had a, just a great night here at our Brandon campus. We, we had over a hundred of our senior adults with us. We had a great dinner. We had some entertainment. It was, it was a great, great night. But you know what we didn't have on Tuesday night at this event? Pregnancy announcements. When our senior adult ministry gets together, there, there's, not, there's not a time where somebody says, all right, everybody gather around. So-and-so's got a special announcement. <laughs> no, it don't work that way. That's a different ministry, <laughs> right? And Zechariah and Elizabeth would be a part of our leading the way ministry. They were, they were way past the age where Elizabeth could have a child. And so Zechariah is like, there's just absolutely no way this can happen. But as we'll see, of course, God's working uniquely and powerfully through this situation. And indeed, 
Zechariah and Elizabeth get pregnant and, and she's gonna have a son. And six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel shows up and he introduces himself to another person who was a relative of Elizabeth and her name is Mary. And Mary, we're gonna see, has a similar reaction to Zechariah, but, but not nearly as extreme or pronounced. We're gonna see really a, a different type of reaction. I mean, there, there, there's similar emotions of fear and doubt, but, but we're, we're gonna see with Mary also some tremendous faith. Because Mary is told something that quite frankly is even more unbelievable than what Zechariah was told. Mary, as we will see, is told that she is going to conceive, but not through a man, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this exchange together there in Luke 1. I want you to see this this dialogue between Gabriel and Mary. It begins there in verse 26. Check this out. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Look at the next verse there. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph who was of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now let's just pause there and make sure we have the context. First of all, I want you to notice that Mary comes out of Nazareth. That may not mean much to you, but you have to understand, okay? Nazareth was a hole in the wall. Nazareth was not Tampa or New York or Chicago or LA. Okay, Nazareth was podunk. And the fact that, that Gabriel goes to a woman in Nazareth, the fact that the Lord chooses to be the mother of the Messiah, a young girl from Nazareth is staggering. Because there's nothing special about Nazareth. It was a small little town in Nowheresville and no one had any regard for anyone that came out of Nazareth. It was just like hillbilly town. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it was just a place on the map. And I'm sure some were amazed that Gabriel could even locate it on his Google Maps as he's coming down from heaven to get to Nazareth, to locate Mary. I mean, it's literally a place that no one had regard for. That's significant that Mary was chosen as somebody that came out of Nazareth. But then you also see that, that she's a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph is in the lineage of David. We saw last week why that's so important because the Messiah would come from Abraham and David's family line. And notice that Joseph, as a part of this story, is also from the line of Abraham and David, but Mary is the woman to whom he's engaged. And, and she's a virgin because at this time in Jewish history, the engagement period was a significant stage in a young couple's lives. You see, they, they saw engagement more like what we would see in terms of a marriage, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't a marriage yet, but that engagement period was more than just like what we have in our society where you give somebody a ring and you're committed, so to speak. But, you know, if you get doubts and something goes wrong, you can still break it off and it's okay kind of thing. No, 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 the, the engagement period here for Mary and Joseph was such that it's, they were essentially married but they had not yet consummated their marriage physically and they were not yet living together. That was like the last step of the process, if you will. But Mary would have been planning the wedding. She would have had caterers lined up. You know, like she had her wedding party chosen. She was shopping for a dress and and she was tethered to Joseph in a significant fashion. The engagement was a really, really, really big deal. They were regarded essentially as married 
but their marriage was not yet consummated. That's what's highlighted here. Gabriel goes to this young girl, probably in her teenage years, mid to late teenage years, relatively young, most likely, we don't know for sure, in a, in a town called Nazareth that was nowhere. And, and Mary receives this revelation from Gabriel. Now look what he says there in verse 28. He says to her, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now that's gonna be important given what comes next. He starts with, hey, you're favored. This is a good thing. I'm not here to kill you. I'm not, I'm not here to, 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 uh, to threaten you or intimidate you. Listen, remember, when, when human beings come in contact with angels, okay, these are, not, these are not beings that play harps and have wings and just show up at Valentine's Day, all right? Like, they were frightening, fearful. You're, as a human being, every human being ever, ever you know, confronted by an angel, there, there, there's a sense of awe and a contrasting of purity and holiness with the frailty and the faults of humanity. And so, so notice Gabriel starts with, hey, greetings, you're favored. The Lord is with you. But look at verse 29, but she's deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Again, Mary, Mary was a human being just like we are, right? I mean, this angel reveals to her and, and says, hey, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And, and like uh, just the normal shock and all. And then what he says, and she's just taken back by it. She's troubled. What does this mean? What, I mean, she's processing, what, what's happening here? And so look, he says in verse 30, so don't be afraid. Clueless, she was afraid as any of us would be. She's troubled. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and he'll be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Listen, what Gabriel says is essentially, you're gonna be the mother of the long awaited Messiah. This is the language that's used. A Jewish woman in Nazareth would have known very, very clearly what Gabriel is saying. This is gonna be a child of the most high. He'll have the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I mean, Mary's processing here. The Lord has chosen me to give birth to this long awaited Jewish Messiah. But the problem is again, she's never had any type of relationship with a man. She's troubled by this. She's processing. She's fearful. This is, again, this is, this is a big deal. And so she actually says, look at verse 34. She actually says to Gabriel, she says, well, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? A very logical question, <laughs> right? I mean, Mary's like saying, hey, Gabriel, I don't know how it works in angel world, but in the human world, there's no procreation without a little recreation, you know, like, how can this happen? How can I have a son? I'm engaged, but not yet married. And no doubt she's processing, listen to me, she's processing this, this, this dichotomy of, okay, I'm favored, but I wanna be asked to carry a son with God, the Holy Spirit, as the father, not Joseph. I'm, I'm blessed by God but I'm gonna walk around pregnant, noticeably pregnant, telling people, oh, no, 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 it's not Joseph, it's the Holy Spirit. Listen, 
she's, she's planning the wedding, finalizing the dress and the caterer and all that that I said. And now she's gonna be walking around pregnant. And you know what else she's processing now is, will Joseph divorce me? Will my parents disown me? Will my friends abandon me? Will my society reject me? Again, get the sanitized version of this out of your head and put yourself in Mary's situation for a minute. It's no wonder she has fear. It's no wonder that she's struggling here. It's no wonder she's clarifying with Gabriel. Listen, I don't know how this is gonna happen. I've never been with Joseph. She's no doubt processing the implications of this. A a, a woman engaged, not yet married, walking around pregnant, telling people, no, Joseph has done nothing inappropriate. Well, then who has? Nobody. Well, then how'd you get pregnant? Now we're back to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Do you see the problem here? Do you see the scandal here? I mean, you can see and sense in Mary, like, her, her, just her mind turning and, and she's asking good questions and she's not asking with any, we're gonna see this. She's not asking with any kind of bitterness. She's not asking with any kind of hostility. She's just processing what's going to be potentially the most significant scandal in Nazareth. No doubt she's picturing, I mean, people are gonna be going through Publix right there in Nazareth and, and, and they're gonna be at the checkout and there's right there right there on Life Magazine or whatever, on the, on the Nazarene Inquirer, okay? It's, there it is, Mary pregnant and Joseph perplexed, right? Can't you just see the tabloids, right? She's processing all this. This is crazy. And she's asking Gabriel, how can this happen? Now look at verse 35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, this is going to be a miracle. The Lord is going to do this. And he says, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he says this, consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. And then this is what he says. I love this verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. No, it's possible. And some of you might be like, how is that possible? Well, listen, you you gotta go big picture here. Listen, we have a God who created everything in this universe out of nothing. There's nothing too difficult for him. When you create everything literally out of nothing, what he's now doing in Elizabeth and Mary is supremely possible. Parting the Red Sea for the children of Israel so that they walk across on dry ground, entirely possible. Having a fourth in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children, entirely possible. Closing the mouths of the lions for Daniel, entirely possible. Listen to me. When you have a God who created the world and all that is in it from nothing, who sustains this universe by the power of his hand, when you have this great and mighty and awesome God, there is nothing too difficult for him. Nothing. That's what Gabriel's saying. Listen, go to your relative Elizabeth. You will find when you see her. She's six months pregnant also. There's no explanation for that other than we have a God who is able to do all that he chooses to do. 
And so you have this dynamic where Elizabeth is an encouragement to Mary and Mary then an encouragement to Elizabeth, just a reminder that yes, we, we can and we must believe in this God who will accomplish these miracles through his power and his might. Gabriel says, Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. Listen to me, Bell Shoals. This is why we do what we do in terms of something like Gift of Hope, where we gave nearly a thousand toys last week, going out to just all kinds of children in our community, communicating, listen, there, there is a God who loves you, who cares for you, a God who has a plan and a purpose for you. We gave more this year than in any other year we've ever done Gift of Hope, because we believe in a God with whom all things are possible. That's why the, today we, we, we spend so much time, even on this film tonight that we'll premiere and show this week. And what, listen, what are we trying to do? We're trying to, through our, 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 our avenues with media and creative work to communicate to our world, our nation, a God with whom all things are possible. You see the powerful story this week of, of, of a family that experienced the depths of tragedy and, and heartache and hurt, but also the power of a God who brings hope and healing. We believe in a God through whom all things are possible. We serve that God today. We worship that God today. We treasure that God today. You see, this is Gabriel's message to Mary. Now, this is clearly unique for Elizabeth and Mary, but, but yet nonetheless, it's a reminder to us that our God is in the business of accomplishing that which only he can do. And even today, he's changing people's lives. You see, this is such a great message. And, and Mary, look, check out how it ends here, verse 38. Last verse we'll look at today. I just, I just look at her response. She says, I am the Lord's servant and may it be done to me according to your word. Wow. As she's processing what will be viewed as scandalous. As she's contemplating maybe parents that will disown her and friends that will abandon her and a society that will reject her as she's contemplating all of these things, wrestling with her own doubt and fear, she comes to the conclusion that yes, I do have a God who is able to do all that he plans and purposes to do. And she says, I, I will accept whatever the Lord requires of me and may this be done exactly as you have said. Mary displays tremendous faith. By the way, that's what separates her from Zechariah. She has incredible faith. And it's a reminder to us of something that I encourage you just to make note of, that our God does extraordinary things through extraordinary faith. Listen, even today, this is how our God works. He does extraordinary things through extraordinary faith. This is the power of our God. And Mary knew what was coming. She knew there would be criticism. She knew there would be skepticism. In fact, we, we see this later on in Jesus' life and ministry. Let, let me take you to John 8, 41, where Jesus is battling with the religious leaders who opposed him. And Jesus, at one point, let me show this to you. He, he says, hey, you're just doing what your father does. He's talking about the devil here. He's saying, your, your father's not God. Your father's the devil. You're doing what the devil wants you to do. You're opposing my work as Messiah. And they say to him, you know what? Well, at least we weren't born out of sexual immorality. That is a stunning statement. They say, they say to Jesus, I, I think probably a reference back to Mary's pregnancy. 
At least we weren't born out of sexual immorality. At least we have legitimacy. Wow. Can you imagine saying that to someone? Mary knew what was coming. She knew not everyone would believe. She knew not everyone (laughs) would support. But yet she said in the midst of her doubt and fear, may it be done according to your word. And it's a reminder to us that our God does extraordinary things through extraordinary faith. And let me be clear, salvation doesn't come through Mary, then or now. There's only one name that brings the hope of salvation. That name is Jesus, not Mary. But we, but we affirm Mary's faith and willingness to do whatever the Lord required of her, knowing full well that it would bring a scandal to Nazareth. Because our God does extraordinary things through extraordinary faith. And if you're paying attention, and I know that you are, you're thinking, you know what, but that, it, it seems to me that both Zechariah and Mary both had doubts. They both had fear. They, they both asked questions. Well, what's the difference? And <laughs> I'll tell you very simply the difference. The difference is in the type of doubt that they possess and the response to it. You see, let me give you another takeaway here that I think is helpful to us, that our doubt is not destructive unless it obstructs our obedience. Hey, can I just encourage you today that, that doubt is acceptable to the Lord? That questions are welcomed? That confusion is tolerated? Whenever we as finite human beings who, who are trying to read and wrestle with at times the word and the will of God and, and we're processing and we're calculating and we're trying to bring along our will and our emotion, there are times where, where, where we can be hurt and we can doubt and we can experience confusion and we can wrestle and we can struggle. That's okay. There's nothing wrong at times with going through seasons of doubt or discouragement. There are times, you know what? we are called to testify to the glory and the greatness of our God in such a way that it cost us something. It's okay to struggle with that. Listen, having doubt is not destructive unless that doubt obstructs our obedience. And that is the problem with Zechariah. You see, Zechariah's doubt is the type of doubt that obstructed his obedience. Zechariah's doubt was a doubt that led him to say, no, 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 there ain't no way that's gonna happen. I mean, you're sitting there talking to an angel telling him it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Zechariah had the kind of doubt that, that, that prompted him toward disobedience. Not that he had anything to do with it. I mean, you know, it's gonna happen. But he's like, there ain't no way. Whereas with Mary, you have a doubt that was open. You see, listen to me. There's three types of doubt that we, that we wrestle with in life, okay? First of all, there's factual doubt, okay? There's, there's doubt when you're processing something and you're just doing the math kind of thing. Hey, it's, it's a mental consideration. It's a mental equation. It's, okay, I, I need to see some data on that. Sometimes we have doubt and it's just factually based. All right, secondly though, there's what I call willful doubt. Th- th- this is a doubt that, That's just a refusal to believe. It's it's a proud and defiant doubt. It looks inward itself and it says, there is absolutely no way this could be true. I will not accept it. It's willful. 
It's of the heart. No, no, I'm not gonna believe that. No, no, I'm not gonna accept that. It's, It's a willful doubt. It's just a refusal to be open. And then thirdly, check this out, there's emotional doubt. There's feeling, you know, the, the, the tension. There's, there's, there's a wondering about implications and consequences. You know, there's, there's emotional doubt. It's, it's, listen to me, this is the most difficult kind of doubt that we wrestle with because it really burdens us at times. It stays with us. It, it wakes us up in the middle of the night, but it's also the least harmful it's not rooted in the will. It's, 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 a, it's a regathering, if you will, of the emotions and trying to formulate a response. It's a doubt that often grows out of humble wonder. It looks upward toward God and says, I don't understand, but I'm open to learning and growing. Timothy Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, said the difference between willful doubt and emotional doubt is the difference between dishonest doubt and honest doubt. A dishonest doubt or a willful doubt is a doubt that just refuses to be open, refuses to believe, refuses to give God credit and glory for being able to do whatever he has said he's going to do. Honest doubt, emotional doubt is the most difficult to wrestle with at times, but the least harmful because it's, it's, it, it's, it's operating in such a way to where there is at least an openness to what can be true. This is the difference between Zechariah and Mary. Mary has honest doubt. She's asking good questions. And we see this throughout history. Listen, some of our our biggest heroes in the Bible, go back to King David, for example. Have you ever read through the Psalms? You know what you find a lot of in the Psalms? Honest doubt. Do you realize it was King David who first said the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus spoke those words on the cross, they were in fulfillment of what David spoke when he was going through one of the most difficult periods of his life. Read through the Psalms. You will find honesty, honest questions, honest doubt, honest statements. That's okay. Because David was a man that loved the Lord. He trusted in the Lord and he freely expressed his emotions, his thoughts, his feelings before the Lord, but all rooted in hopeful optimism that the Lord would see him through. See, that's not the kind of doubt Zechariah has. Zechariah has a willful doubt. Hey, ain't never gonna happen. You know how old my wife is? You know how old I am? Hey, ain't never gonna happen. The Lord, the Lord says through Gabriel, all right, how about you just shut up for nine months? <laughs> how about you stop talking? Zap, huh? he stopped talking. Something tells me at some point in time, he came to believe. <laughs> Mary is contemplating the consequences of a pregnancy that will be viewed as scandal. She's asking good questions in hopes to better understand. But the whole time, she's open to whatever the Lord wants. She's open to learning. She's open to growing. She's open to accepting. And you know, we, we live in a, in a time, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I'm looking forward to 2020 just being over, <laughs> aren't you? I mean, it's been a year. We live in a time of a lot of anxiety. There's, there's, there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of frustration, just exasperation. Just say, can we just kind of tie a bow on this year and let's just get to 2021? <laughs> Surely 2021 is gonna be better, we're all thinking, you know? 
And, and there are times, man, we, we struggle with doubt. Maybe you're going through a season right now where you're frustrated, you're discouraged. And maybe, you know, maybe you're coming to God's word and God's will and you're like, man, I know God's told me this. I know God's, you know, he's given me some parameters here for my life, my marriage, my finances, how I live, how I give, how I serve. You know, you're, and you're, you're struggling with doubt. Maybe you've got fear, maybe you've got anxiety. And you think, oh, I don't know. I can't, I don't wanna tell the Lord that. Well, first of all, he already knows. Secondly, you won't be the first who's ever carried doubt or fear. You won't be the first person to ever struggle in a season where your health's compromised. You won't be the first person who's ever struggled when you feel like the Lord's distant from you. You won't be the first person to ever wrestle with doubt and fear. May may I just, listen, may I just give you some assurance today. It's okay to have doubt. Just make sure it's an honest doubt. Make sure it's a doubt where, you know what, you're, you're still upward looking and upward focused. Like, God, I don't, I don't see it. I'm struggling here. And I'm honest with you to say that I'm struggling. But I also believe that, that you have a plan and you have a purpose for me. And God, I believe, and I don't see the path forward now, that I will see it at some point in the future. That's the faith that Mary had. How does God work? He, he does extraordinary things through extraordinary faith. And God works even through seasons of doubt and discouragement, seasons of suffering, seasons of hardship. God's always at work and he's always at work through the exercising of our faith. And the scandal of Christmas reminds us, listen, this situation with Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Joseph, this all reminds us that God is working even through our dysfunction and our difficulties. He's working. And today I wanna encourage you to stay faithful and stay strong and to keep looking forward in faith because God is working, God is moving and God is always faithful to do what he's promised to do. He's never one time gone back on a promise. He's always faithful to what he's told us he's going to do and he's always gonna work in your life, listen to me very, very carefully, to, to increase and encourage your faith and mine. Let me give you one final takeaway. It's so strategic and important. Listen, it's this. God will never work in your life apart from faith. Never. He will never work in your life apart from faith. And this Christmas story, the real life Christmas story reminds us of this, that our God is always working, even through doubt, even through discouragement, even through fear, even through suffering, even through hardship, even through exasperation, our God is always working to grow our faith because Hebrews 11, six tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. You cannot please your father without faith. And Mary gives us such a beautiful example of the fact that even in seasons of doubt, there is a faith that rises that God uses. And that is true for you and me. Listen, some of you are students here today. You're, you're in high school and you're looking toward your future. And you know what? Once I get to college, I can get out on my own. I think, I mean, I think things are gonna be better. Because right now you're stressed. You're like, man, what am I gonna do after high school? You're trying to choose a school or a career and you're worried about making new friends and you think, man, once I get to school, it's gonna be good. And then some of you are in college right now and you're like, no, man, I got a lot of stuff I'm worried about. You know, I gotta figure out like, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna nail down this career and then I gotta get a job somewhere and then I, I mean, maybe you're dating somebody, you're thinking about who you're gonna marry and will my mom and dad like them and will, will, will his or her parents like me and you're like, man, I'll tell you what, once I, I'll tell you, once I get out of college and I get married and I get settled, then my life will be easy because marriage, as we know, brings nothing but ease and, and uh, the absence of problems, right? That's what you think. 
And then some of you graduated from college, you got married, now you're a young professional or you're, you know, you're getting into your life and your career. Now you're trying to balance home and work and relating to your in-laws and buying a home and starting to think about having children. You think, oh man, I'll tell you what, you know, I look at my friends with kids and yeah, you have kids, that's easy. So I'll just, yeah, I'll get there. And then some of you are in that stage, right? You're in my life stage, you got kids. And now you're worried about saving for college and weddings. I tell people I have two boys and two weddings. <laughs> You worried about you worried you worried about adjusting to an empty nest. You know, I think about that. I mean, what am I gonna do? I'm just a few years away from not having any of my kids in my house and maybe job changes you've navigated or navigating now, and you know, you, you start dealing with an aging mind and body. And you wake up one day, let me tell you what's coming, all of you students and young professors, let me tell you what's coming one day. You're gonna be like, you know what, I'm gonna read my Bible today. Ah, oh, now I can see it. And then some of you think, some of you think, you know what, I'll tell you what, I just get through all this with my kids and man, you know, then I'll be living a high life. My grocery bill is gonna go down. Maybe I buy a condo or a second home and you know, some of you are in that life stage. And you're thinking about retirement now or your grandkids and you know, I'll tell you what happens in that life stage. You start seeing these pharmaceutical commercials on television, you never used to pay attention to them. Now you're like, you know what, I think I could use that. <laughs> You're like, you know what? I think it'd be better, Lord, take me on home. <laughs> Listen, you're never gonna graduate from needing to exercise saving faith. You're never gonna get there. Never gonna be a stage or a season of life. You're like, hey, I, I'm there. I'm, I, you know, I've been in church enough, small group. You know, I, I'm good, I'm there. And you're never gonna get there. You're never gonna get there. The Lord's never gonna let you get there. Now listen, ladies, none of you have to walk out of here today worried about having like some conception from the Holy Spirit. That's good news. <laughs> listen, I know this is unique with Mary and Elizabeth. I know this is unique. Let me tell you what's not unique. The need for saving faith. The circumstances are different. Your circumstances are different. My circumstances are different. But you know what? Like Mary and Zechariah, we still have doubts. We still have fears. We still look to, toward an unknown future. We have questions. Sometimes when we're struggling, we're hurting, we, we wonder, God, are you there? God, what are you doing? And it's okay to have doubts, but let's make it an honest doubt. And more than just our circumstances, more than just the unknowns, more than just the anxieties, hey, let's look to what we know to be true, that we have a God who is able to do all that he has promised for whom nothing is impossible and a God who through the Christmas story has given us the greatest demonstration of his love for us that he sent his own son into this world to secure heaven for us. And so if there's ever a day where you doubt if God really loves you, if he's really for you, no, 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 look to Jesus, he is. He didn't send his son to this world to lose you. No, he sent his son in this world to save you. And you have all that you need to be assured of the fact that yep, in the doubt, in the hardship, in the hurt, God loves me, he's for me, and he's faithful to do all that he's promised to do in every season of life.